Go ahead and grab a seat and grab your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament book, or letter rather, or document, if you will, of Mark, also now known as the Gospel according to Mark. We're walking through a series right now uh, through this book. And if you do not have a Mark journal, would you just raise your hand, go ahead and put it up high. We have some ushers, they will give you a book. I see a hand down here, uh, a couple of them over here as well. We have two more weeks in this little look at Mark until we take a break For about four weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter and have a few weeks to talk about a few other things. And then near the end of May, we will come back to Mark for part two and we'll sort of dig deep, pause again in August, come back September and then finish it out. And so that's the plan. Uh, But we'll get into that in just a moment. Before we do, let me make you aware of two, I think, really exciting things in the life of our church. Number one. Today and next Sunday is Journey Through Jerusalem. This is our annual children's ministry preparation for the moment where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so over here, look, look, if you have not been into Kids Central, and some of you are going, look, I've already done my time, I already made it through, I got the war wounds, got the t-shirt, okay, okay. Don't worry, it's not like picking up a cold if you walk through the children's ministry. You won't pick up another kid, it's okay. But you need to walk through over here because they have set it up beautifully as an interactive experience of walking through this beautiful time of preparation for Easter. And in fact, some of you are here this morning as guests because you were invited to come and sort of check it out. We are so glad you're here this morning. If this is your first time with us, especially welcome Our body here, our family here, we are so honored that you would be with us this morning and we hope that you'll give us an opportunity to get to know you a little better, to meet you and one of the best places to do that is after service, just go to the Next Step table, the Next Step center out here in the lobby where you can ask questions, get information and just another opportunity to figure out a little bit more about this crazy bunch at Clear Creek. But again, glad you're here. That's first thing. Second thing is this. On your chair, you should have, on your chair, and if you did not see it, you may want to sit, you know, sort of stand up and look for just a moment, but you should have a card. Everyone go ahead and grab your card, would you? This is just a real simple, basic, to-the-point invitation card for Easter Sunday. Easter is in two weeks, so on one side it says, sit with me. Presumably, when you invite someone to church, it's always a good idea to invite them to sit with you when they show up, right? So sit with me. And then on the other side, Easter at Clear Creek gives them the date, the time, a little bit of information. Let me tell you something. There are a few times throughout the year where the world is far more sensitive and open to taking a next step in exploration of their faith, and Easter is one of those. In fact, 75% of people surveyed said that they would go to church on Easter if a friend invited them. And so what I want you to do, even now, go ahead and hold that, and I just want you to begin to ask God, who do you want to invite, perhaps to meet Jesus for the first time, or to meet him again in a deeper way? And so that's in two weeks, and and church, you can do this, this is a good thing. All right, with that in mind, go ahead and put that down, and let's go to Mark chapter 5. And I want to read to you a busy text. 
A lot is going on, and we'll unpack it, but let me walk you through it first, and then we'll see where the Spirit may lead us this morning. This is Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, so he had been on the eastern side, the Gentile side, the pagan side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's now returned over to the west, probably the northwest, to Capernaum, the city where he spent most of his time ministering. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his, pay attention to this word, we're going to come back to it, cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched me? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came, fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told Jesus the whole truth, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Four of the, first, four of the worst words you can ever hear. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And so what do they do? They laughed at him. So after Jesus put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up, walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her Something to eat. A lot here. Let's pray and ask God to show us what he wants us to see. Father, I thank you that you've given us your word, that you teach us from it, that we may know you and be better used by you. Father, I thank you for this moment in history that we now get to turn to. And although it was a definitive moment in time, What we learn from it about you 
continues on through today, I pray for each of us that we would hear from you as we need. Holy Spirit, speak to us. And Jesus, we pray that you will go before us in this text. We ask this in your name. Amen. So let me just ask you a quick question here. Uh, How many of you in your homes have what we might call house rules? Does anyone have some house rules in their home? Anyone at all? You've got, I see, 12 people, maybe. I would love to live in the rest of your homes. I mean, cereal for dinner, check. You know, all you can eat ice cream, check. Do you notice all my rules have to do with food? It is awesome. Growing up, we had a bunch of rules uh, of the house, and they weren't oppressive, most of them, but they were helpful. So for instance, uh, let's go back to a food rule. Uh, When we were eating at the dinner table, we were told to never chew with our mouths what? You had the same parents as I did. Fantastic. Uh, Another one was when you talked to an adult, we were always required to say, yes, sir, or no, sir, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. None of this, yeah, none of this, yep, none of, I mean, none of that. I've told you before, my parents disciplined us patriotically. When we misbehaved, they laid stripes and we saw stars. That's just the way it works. And so you did the house rules. Now, let me give you the one that I really, really, really did not like. But now that I'm an adult, I really, really, really do like it. Here it is. Are you ready? House rule. Don't interrupt when I'm talking. How many of you ever heard your mom, your dad, or maybe someone you don't even know, but an adult say, don't interrupt while I'm talking. Any of you have scars from childhood. You want to just join in on this one. Man, I hated that phrase. Don't interrupt while I'm talking. And yet, now that I'm an adult, I love it. It is wonderful. Although it seems to be so often ignored. You're talking to an adult and a child comes up, your own child or whatever, and, and they, they start tugging, they start talking, and, and you have to say, no, 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 not while I'm talking. And you keep going and they keep going. My nephew, I love this little guy. He's awesome, four years old. His name is Crosby. And he's just this fun little guy, full of energy. He is just the energizer bunny. I mean, boom, 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 boom. But this is really just his mouth. I mean, he's just constantly. And when he wants to get your attention, which is always... He will come up to you and say, hey, 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 Uncle Josh. Really? Hey, 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 Aunt Lindsay. Hey, hey. And what was interesting, I didn't know this was normal. I'll just be honest with you. I thought that was just, I didn't know what was wrong. Hey, 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 hey. It didn't work. He kept saying it. I didn't really hit him. But then he would say, Uncle Josh, and I'd say, yes, Crosby. And he'd say, hi. And they just run off. <laughs> All of that for that? But it was a house rule. Don't interrupt while the parents or adults are talking. Now, here's what's interesting about this text. Evidently, God does not operate by the same house rules as our parents growing up. Did you know that God is a God of interruptions? Jesus' ministry is a ministry of interruptions. Did you notice the interruptions in this text? 
And in fact, the ministry of interruptions wasn't just this moment. It has been going on for chapters. Let me give you just a brief recap of where we have been. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee right here. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Galilee or where the Hebrew population or at least a portion of them lived. And on the other side was the Decapolis, which was Gentile country. Chapter 3, Jesus calls his 12 closest disciples. At that point, he is interrupted by some religious folks and by healings. And then he starts telling some parables or stories and people start interrupting him. What do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? After that, Jesus, after doing all these things, needs a little space. So he grabs his followers and he says, okay, fellas, let's move away from where we are. Let's go across the sea. As they're going across the sea in chapter four, what does Jesus try to do, church? tries to get a nap. It's been a big day. And what should happen in the middle of his nap? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hey, 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 hey. But it's not just hi, it's there's a storm. We're about to die. Jesus tells the storm and the apostles, hush, I'm napping. Well, he says that to the storm. I assume it's implied with the, anyway, he says, be quiet been interrupted. He gets to the other side now, and on the other side, he meets, as soon as he comes off the boat, a man who's been possessed by not one, not two, but legion of demons. Real story, real event in history. And as soon as he gets off the boat, he's interrupted again. He sends out the demons into a herd of pigs. They run down and commit mass suicide by going into the Sea of Galilee. The people who own the pigs, seeing that their economy is completely wrecked, say, Jesus, thanks for stopping by. Could you please leave? And so he's interrupted again. He hops in the boat. Now they've made the trek not once across the seven-mile stretch, but now twice. And when they get back to Capernaum, presumably, what's waiting for them? A crowd. You can almost imagine the crowd of people. They're watching from a distance, and they see the boat as it's just a speck on the horizon getting closer and closer. And so someone runs and tells someone who tells someone who tells someone. And before Jesus can even make landfall, there is a crowd of people waiting to see him. He comes out on land and one of the first people to press through is a somebody. His name is Jairus. Jairus, we're told, is a synagogue leader. The synagogue, think of it as the church the local school, and the local civic center rolled into one. It was the place where the Hebrew people did life. He was a leader, meaning he curated what was there. He kept it clean, organized. He was a man of respect. He was a somebody. And he comes to Jesus, not dignified as a man of his stature, but he comes and he falls down in front of Jesus, and we're told he pleads with Jesus earnestly. Here's the picture. He is so desperate to get Jesus' help, he is not leaving without Jesus, even if he has to carry Jesus on his shoulder. My little girl, she's about to die. Come heal her. And so Jesus, once again, is interrupted, and he begins to go. Now, if you're writing notes down, here's the first thing I'd say to you is simply this. I've got good news for you this morning. God is okay with your interruptions. God is okay with you coming to him, talking to him. Hey, 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 hey. Hi, God. Hey, 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 hey. I need help. Hey, hey, hey. I'm just so glad to be with you. 
God is okay with your interruptions. In fact, He is a God of interruptions. God, through Jesus, God goes and begins to walk with this man. And as He goes, a woman presses through the crowd. Now, she was not a somebody. She was a nobody because she had a history of internal bleeding, of hemorrhaging. We're not sure what all it means. What we do know is from Old Testament law, a woman with her ongoing issue of blood was considered ceremonially unclean. This wasn't because people didn't like people with medical conditions. It's because they did not have the same medical care like we have today. If you had an illness, there was a good chance that if you were around us, we would get it. And there was no cure for most of the issues people faced. So if you were unclean, you were separated both to protect the community as well as not to spread the issue. But this woman, so desperate, she has spent all of her savings on doctors who don't know what they're doing. The ancient world doctors were more like magicians working out superstitious poem, uh, po- uh, not poems, <laughs> potions to make people well. And she had undergone enormous amounts of suffering because some of these cures were worse than the cause. And so penniless, with no hope, she presses through, touching people, making them unclean as she tries to get to Jesus, breaking the law simply to get to God, and she touches him, and he feels power leave him. Now, Jesus is all God and all man. This means that he is fully divine, but he does not lose his humanity in the moment. This is why he has power But in this moment, he does not know who the woman is, and so he stops, and he allows another interruption to interrupt his interruption. God is okay with your interruptions. And let me give you two reasons why. Because your interruptions, actually, let me do this first, because your interruption will lead to greater intimacy, and it can also develop greater understanding. In fact, if I were to say one thing about God, I wonder, uh, I, I came across this great picture some time ago and I found it again on the internet. I love this. This is at a library and it says this, please interrupt me. And you may not be able to read it, but the smaller print says reference desk. I'm here to help you. Find books, movies, music in the library, order books, movies, music from other local libraries, find information on your research topic, teach you how to download library eBooks and much more. And then in red, Your request is more interesting than what I'm doing. And I've often thought, of course it is more interesting than what you're doing. You work in a library. Nothing more behind that statement. That's it. Okay. But if God had a sign in heaven, I wonder, would it read, please interrupt me? I want to answer your needs because... God is okay with your interruptions. They often improve understanding and increase intimacy. That's what happens in the story, isn't it? The woman, let me just give you a couple examples here. The woman, she comes and we're told in verse 28, she thinks to herself, if I but touch the cloak that he is wearing, I'll be healed. Just, 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 just the corner, if I can just touch it. Now here's the thing. 
If we understand what those who are reading this understood, we'd get the significance of this moment. Let me take you back in time just so you can kind of get the feel of the moment. When she touched the hem of his, what would have been his prayer shawl, as a rabbi, he would have worn a prayer shawl. This is a picture of a modern day prayer shawl. You'd wear it over the top of your head and shoulders when you pray. At the ends, you'll notice there are tassels. This comes from the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 15, which says this. God talking to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will, be, you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them. Back in time, tassels on the garments, tassels on the corners. Now, For those of you who love language, let me give you two words, and then you'll feel like you got your money's worth this morning. The word for tassel is tzitzis. Everybody say tzitzis. you got to be careful how you say it, but it's a fun word, okay? The word for corner is kanop. Everyone say kanop. Easier to say, isn't it? Now, they were to put these tassels on the corners of their prayer shawl, 613 knots in these Tassels, 613, one knot for every law of the old covenants. Fast forward a few centuries, just before the time of Christ, about four centuries before, and we come to a prophet named Malachi, and talking about the coming Messiah, he says that for you who revere God's name, my name, the son of righteousness, this is a title for the Messiah, the chosen one, The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. The Hebrew word for wings is kanap. And so, over time, from the point of Malachi all the way to Jesus, over those four centuries, there was this belief that the Messiah, the chosen one of God, would have a prayer shawl, and that healing would be in the corners of the shawl. In fact, if you look at the picture of a man wearing his prayer shawl, and as he's praying, what does it look like as he extends his arms but wings? If I can just touch his wings, if I can just touch it, then I will be healed. There's power in the wings, there's power. She had an understanding that Jesus was Messiah, but she didn't know the half of it. And so what does he do, church? He speaks to her. And he says, listen, the power is not in the wings. He says, your faith has healed you. This is good news. You don't have to get to something to be healed. You simply receive Jesus where you are to find healing. This is the good news. It increased her understanding, but it also increased not just her understanding, but her intimacy. In fact, this is the point where I think if I were Jairus, I would get a little frustrated. My daughter's on her deathbed, Jesus is coming, and now he is stopping. Why? I don't know, but he stops. And then he says, who touched me? And I'm thinking, well, like the disciples, of course everyone has touched you, Jesus. Come on, let's hurry this along. I got a little girl. We need to move this along. But Jesus will not be hurried. He will not be forced ahead because he has more work to do. Why did he stop? Her healing was only halfway. 
She had been cut off for years, 12 years, living outside of the camp, living outside the city, living outside where people are. If she had been married 12 years, ladies, without being able to see or touch the skin of her husband. If she had children 12 years without feeling the warmth of a little hand on her cheek. 12 years without being able to go to synagogue to be in the presence of God's people. 12 years of being untouchable. So what does Jesus call her? Look at it. Put your finger on the word. Do you see what Jesus calls her? Daughter. Daughter. This is kind of interesting because if you read through the Gospels, whenever Jesus is interacting with a woman, he almost always just calls the woman, woman. When Jesus' own mom says, Jesus, they've run out of wine here at this wedding party. We need your help. He says to her, woman, my time has not yet come. But to this woman, he speaks to her tenderly and says, daughter. He wants her to know That he didn't simply come to give her a healing, he came to restore her, and he wants her to hear him say, welcome home, daughter. There's space for you here now. God is okay with your interruptions because it will lead to deeper understanding and intimacy. But this isn't the only conversation happening, is it? At this time, some friends show up, they talk, and they tell Jairus the terrible news. Your little girl is dead. Stop bothering the teacher. And I love how Jairus, as he's about to turn and speak to Jesus, Jesus almost interrupts Jairus and says this, Don't be afraid. By the way, have you noticed in Scripture, whenever Jesus says, Don't be afraid, it's already too late. Don't be afraid. Already there. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. And Jairus, you got to think, was thinking, (laughs) are you kidding me? Jesus, it's too late. My little girl is dead. I've got to go home and plan a funeral now for a 12-year-old girl. And Jesus, didn't you even hear what I called her? I called her my little girl earlier. She's 12, almost 13, marrying age. And yet, as every daddy knows, no matter how old your daughter gets, she is always your little girl. And now she is dead. What do you mean? Don't be afraid. My world is broken. Now, let me just stop right here. Okay, this is for some of you, and I don't know you, but this part of the story is for you. You have prayed, and you've prayed, and you've prayed, and you've asked God, and He has not answered either the way you wanted, or, or you just feel silence from Him. And so you have well-meaning friends who tell you it's time to move on, it's time to get over it. Or you have the little voice in your head saying, you know what, Jesus is just not going to answer that prayer. Jesus is not going to do this. Just time to move on. This is the part of the story for you. Understand me. An answer delayed is not necessarily an answer denied when it comes to Jesus. When Jesus is around, even the impossible becomes possible. And I don't know what you're... I don't know what you're praying, but do not give up. 
Believe that the one who spoke galaxies into existence and the one who died because he loves you is now able to give life to the situation that you are facing. He is able to bring hope where there is none. This is the part of the story for you. And so Jesus goes with Jairus. They begin to walk. I wonder if they talked or if it was just in silence. But whatever the case, when they get there, the silence is broken because the people are wailing. In their culture, if you had someone die, it was expected that you would hire professional wailers. Uh, How many of you know someone who could be a professional wailer? Anyone know someone who could be a professional wailer? Okay, I just live with them then. Okay. But you'd hire at least two professional wailers and one trumpet player. That's evidently something, a trumpet player at the wailing party. But they would try to prepare the body and get it buried within the same day because, again, the warm weather there, you didn't want the body to putrefy. They get there. Jesus comes, and to add insult to injury, he says, why are you so sad? She's not dead. She's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. Did you know that there is a laughter that is on the other side of crying? Where where you have cried so much that things become almost absurd and they just, so they laugh at him. And so Jesus ushers everyone out except for the mom and daddy and his disciples who are with him because Jesus will not be hindered by a lack of faith. And he goes over to this little girl and I love the text. He says to this little girl in Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke, this is written in Greek, but this piece, they retain it in the original in Aramaic. He says to this girl, he says, Talitha kum. Little girl. That word, I think the best translation is is honey, sweetheart. He touches her hand. And as one scholar puts it, he speaks to her the way that a mother would speak to a child in the early morning as the sun comes streaming through the window. Take her by the hand. Sweetheart, it's just time to get up. For Jesus, the most impossible things are as easy as simply stirring a child from sleep. And she comes back, she opens her eyes, and the family just goes bonkers. That's in the Josh Diggs translation of the story. And Jesus says, don't tell anyone. I got to keep this under wraps for a little longer. I got more to do, but here is the point. God is okay with your interruptions. Even the moments where you don't see how it's going to work out. Uh, Lindsay was telling me last night, she reminded me of some friends in Houston who they have a family rule that if the mom and dad are talking to another adult and the child has a need, the child is given permission to come over to the parent. Don't speak, but come over to the parent. And if the child's real small or wherever, however high the child can reach, the child can at least just touch the parent's hand, arm, elbow. And that's the way for the child to say, I'm here I need you. Will you speak to me when you're free? And the parent, to let the child know, I am here, I am listening, I am with you, the parent will take the parent's hand and cup the child's hand. Even if I can't respond right now, things you don't understand as a little one, what I'm doing, I am here, I have not forgotten you. God is okay with your interruptions. There's one last little piece of the story, and then we'll call it a morning. You see, Jesus is okay with your interruptions, but here's the reality. God is also okay with interrupting you. 
Anyone notice this in your life, that God doesn't seem to care about your schedule? Anyone else have a moment where God seems to show up at the time where you're just really not ready for him to? See, here's the thing. I love interruptions so long as I can schedule when they happen. Eh? I don't mind an interruption if I get to choose when they happen, but here's the reality. God is okay with your interruptions, and he's also okay with interrupting you and me. Do you notice that Jesus isn't alone in this text? Who's with him the whole time? His disciples. Where have they been? Well, they were on the east side, crossed over to west side, what, what, and then they came back over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee. They have now rowed across twice, seven miles one way through a storm. Do they have time to eat? We don't hear about it. They come back another seven miles. Have they had a chance to eat? There is no first century McDonald's. And so they're probably hungry, and yet Jesus says, you three with me, let's go. Here's the reality. Everything we've been talking about in the Gospel of Mark is about those who would dare to follow the Master. That a disciple, someone who follows Jesus, is someone who goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus does. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you will be interrupted. But here's what I know about the best interruptions They often, 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 the moments that I am least interested in being interrupted are the moments where God shows up the most powerfully. The stories we could talk about if we had time, but we're out, so I won't. But here's the reality. Sometimes I think that for this moment, for this day, this interruption, I think is a detour in my day when in reality it is the destination that God has been preparing. How long had God been preparing these interruptions. Twelve years. Twelve years of a woman with bleeding and not being able to touch anyone. Twelve years of a little girl growing up in a family, loving a mom and dad, bedtime stories, all those things that would come to this moment so that when Jesus shows up, people who might not otherwise seek Jesus would seek him because of the interruptions in their lives. And now God has called us to be okay with the interruptions as well. I want you to take back out your Easter card. Go ahead and grab it for me, will you? Go ahead and just hold it in your hand, would you? I want to suggest something to you here as we're about to finish this morning, and it's simply this. We're getting close to our time of prayer, and I'm going to invite you now to begin to prepare your mind, because here's, here's the reality. If everyone in this room holding one of these cards, or has one under their seat right now, were to give it to a person, how many people might come to know Jesus Christ? How many people may come to find the hope that they are looking for and they don't even know that they have it? Church, we are two weeks away from celebrating when Jesus conquered death. Two weeks away from the moment where what we proclaim had merit. 
And there is someone that God is going to put in your path this week. They may not be waiting at a crowd by the seashore, but they may be waiting at the end of their driveway next to yours. In the cubicle next to you, at the desk next to you. They may be waiting at the gym, on the treadmill, praying that they can make it through another, you know, five minutes, whatever. And this is the moment where he is going to interrupt your scheduled day and say, this is the time, this is the place. Who is the divine interruption that God wants you to interact with this week?